0: Welcome to episode 136 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbill, and today my special guest is someone who I call a friend, a mentor. It's Dan Torgman of ABR. Me and Dan go over three races from this past Saturday at Santa Anita. Those being 1, 6, and 11. And some angles that we talk about are why race replays are so important for Dan. How the cutback going down the hill on the turf course is still a key play. And we also talk about why the graded stakes that we go over, the Big Cap and the San Felipe, seem to be so top heavy with talent, with maybe not so many contenders in each race. This is Red Board Rewind. Like to welcome in a special guest for this week's Red Board Rewind. He is someone who has helped further my career, whether it was writing for him or just talking with him in general. It's Dan Tortman of ABR. Dan, how are
1: you today? I'm doing great. I am, uh, to be honest, uh, slightly exhausted, but good exhausted. It's like, you know, if you, have, you go to a wedding, right? Uh, which actually I did last week. I was at Acacia's wedding. Acacia and Miguel they got married, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Congratulations again to them. But that morning after, where your feet hurt, your body aches a little bit, your mind's a little tired and slow, that's really how I felt after watching all of that racing and betting mm-hmm. I don't know how many pick- fives I played on Saturday. I, I played like <laughs> it feels like I played 12 pick fives. I played every pick five. Um, you know, the, the cross country ones were a lot of fun, unfortunately missed on both just barely, but missed on both. Um, and then the, you know, I was at Gulfstream on Saturday, so I ended up, um, kind of wading into those pick bods as well, a little bit as well. Um, it, it, look, it was a fun day. Um, credit to the, the first racing slash stronic group for coming up with a creative concept the first Saturday. And, um, you know, um, I, 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 appreciated it. It was fun while it was happening, but I'm tired. I'm a little tired now.
0: It's almost weird too, because a lot of times we hear like you know, oh, they're all after their own little slice of the pie, whether it's Naira, you know, CDI, the Stronic Group. So it's kind of nice that cause Stronic Group does own a couple of the major racing tracks. They can kind of put them together where it's not like, oh, we're not going to run on top of each other. Oh, we're going to you know mix some mix and match some extra bets for you guys, so you guys have even more to look at over the day.
1: Yeah, what they did that was really nice was that they really they, they coordinated those post times in a way where. Um, I don't know what the exact time between races were. I think I heard at one point that it was about 15 minutes. It felt like it was like five minutes between each race. Plus I was running around working as well, but it, it it like did not give you a chance to really exhale. It, It felt like you were just in this like rapid fire, just, just, action filled day. And, and it just didn't stop. Like once it started, it just did not stop. It was, it was
0: unbelievable. I kind of feel like that's how, when I'm working at Saratoga, it's like we come up, we get there around, you know, 10 or 11. And as soon as the first race goes off, it's like, okay, well I'm not stopping till about six or seven o'clock tonight. Even if it's just yeah. teaching people, it just kind of goes like that. So let's get kind of into your prep. You were telling me how, and I love this with you because a lot of people, you know, they, they talk about handicapping, how they spend 10, 15 minutes, you know, maybe on a race, sometimes guys are spending only half an hour on a card. You're spending a lot of extra time due to race replays. And obviously I've had some of the best guys, Benny South street, et cetera, come on and talk about race replays. What about you makes that so important?
1: Yeah. You know, Benny's a great uh, example, uh, Benny South street (laughs) him Benny. Um, Yeah. But he, but he's a great example of, you know, kind of my general approach and philosophy to betting on racing because the way I look at it is that there is like sort of surface data and surface information that you can grab by just scanning PPs, um, you know, heck, you know, I know a lot of people who literally will, will, will make bets, a couple of bets a day based on, you know, uh, j- just simply trainer angles and, and, and jockeys uh, in certain races paired up with, 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 with trainers. Uh, for me, I, I just I can't do that. Like I, I don't know if I'm not lucky or or what. It just it's not that easy for me. Like I, my all of my best hits in my life have come when I have spent just a terribly uh, exhausting amount of time handicapping races and not only handicapping again the form, but really digging into replays and trying to find trips that um, other people are not going to see as, being one way or another, either either beneficial to a horse kind of coming into a new race, or or maybe worthy of downgrading a horse who everyone's betting on because they haven't watched the last race and didn't realize either a how the pace set up for them in that prior race or you know how 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 a certain being on a certain part of the track that day was beneficial to them and that sort of thing. So um, for me, I, I think watching replays is absolutely essential and um, but to a fault. Like, like I told you when you were reaching out to me, you're like, hey, what races do you want to discuss today? I said, look, I reached a point looking at all these stakes races on Saturday where, yes, I know a lot of these horses. I've seen them run a bunch of times, but I can't, I don't have the greatest memory and I, and I can't and I don't take notes that are good enough. So I can't just off the top of my head say, you know, OK, yeah, this I, I need to watch those replays mm-hmm. again. I, I want to see it fresh. I want to have, have just kind of fresh eyes looking at some of the replays, even as some of these horses that I know and whose races I've seen over and over again. I wanted to give it all a fresh look, and so um, I ended up really going after some of the main dirt stakes races on Saturday, uh, especially at Santa Anita, and I actually kind of wish I would have taken a closer look at some of the turf races, because that's where mm-hmm. the bigger prices ended up, you know, sort of surfacing, and, and yeah, after looking at those dirt races, I mean, it's not surprised that that it, it was a bit chalky, but my, my process does involve, first of all, just trying to look at race shape, how the race is going to set up from a pace perspective. And then once I've got a sense, okay, here are the main contenders here. Here's, here's how I see it potentially playing out. I still like to watch a replay or two of just about every horse. um, Even though most people find that completely unnecessary, just to make sure that what I'm seeing on paper and what I'm remembering about their running style and how they broke from the gate um, and, and how fast they really are really matches up with what I'm seeing visually. So that's why, I spend a stupid amount of time watching replays uh, as part of my handicapping process. Uh,
0: I mean, though, it's also good, though, because I can't tell you how many times like, I, I go to the OTB, I go to the track, everyone watches the race, they turn the page. Watching race replays to me is it also helps you as a beginner, because if you watch, let's say you go back, you have your GRF formulator account, you go in, you watch a month's worth of races at Naira and you watch all the dirt sprints and, you know, all of a sudden, when they go three, you know, three deep in speed duels, you know, well, the inside, the middle horse, you know, seems to get jostled a lot and never seems to win. So that's kind of like an angle where, just from watching race replays, you know, okay, horses that are in middle positions like that just don't seem to do very well in speed duels. Which, you know, when you think about it laterally, it kind of just makes sense. You know, they're getting batted around back and forth. The inside horse is the shortest way around the track. The outside horse has a clean lane on the outside. And for me. Just with race replays in general, I think the more you watch, just the more you learn. And it's not so much about taking, like you said, taking notes. If you watch a horse's last five races, and let's say they win two of them, and in three races, they're buried on the inside. And the two wins, they had the outside post and got a nice outside clean trip. And now today the horse is on the outside. Like you can almost kind of just like, okay, just don't get buried. And I have a better chance than probably what the PPs are telling people, as long as the buyers fit and the class and all that fits. That's where race replay is coming to mind for me. It's like a lot of people just look and they're like, oh, this horse will be loose on the lead due to a pace figure and a good race replay. And it's like, well, the horse only ran a 65 buyer and you need about a 75 to win this race. Is that just going to improve him again? 10 points, even though he was completely free the last race. So I feel like there's also, like, you know, that nice devil's advocate, like that nice little knife edge where, yes, race replays are important. To me, it's almost that, you know, fifth or sixth pillar of the handicapping process along with trainer stats now because trainers are also now becoming so important in the game.
1: Yeah, and, and I know one of the first races we're going to look at, you know, looking at also, like, the first race in Santa Anita on Saturday, um, I think you checked off every box uh, in terms of the various – handicapping factors mm-hmm. that came into play I think in, in looking at that race that could have landed you on a pretty nice winner um, and then you also mentioned something in terms of a horse being up with the pace in between horses getting jostled around or just being in tight just being in tight with 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 pressure to your outside and, and a horse on the on the inside that you're trying to keep up with it, it can, can be a disadvantage um, in, in, in some races but you have to see it visually to see how how the horse is going. What sort of restraint is on the horse? And, and none of that is going to be in the notes, right? I, I mean, and, and so, so you've, you've got to like really, you've got to, and by notes, I mean the comment lines. I mean, you know, you've got to watch those replays to get a sense for, was that a comfortable tracking second or stalking trip? Was that, I mean, yeah, we know that the horse maybe lost a bit of ground if they were three wide. But were they tra- how are they traveling throughout? Um, and I think those are things that you have to, you know, sort of see visually to get a sense for. And then you can come up with some sort of theory uh, about how they might run on that particular day. And what the, the, I, I totally just flash back to the big cap, which is a race we'll get to um, shortly Um um, and coming out of the big cap, um, there's a particular trip, and and there's there's a horse who I like to win the big cap. So of course I'm a little bitter. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm probably giving it away already. Who whose trip I didn't love, even though if you looked at it, like it's like wait he he had no excuse not to win. He had a great trip. Um, I, I I just I, no I I didn't like the trip. I didn't like the ride. Um, and we'll get we'll get to more of that. But coming out of that, um, I'm I'm looking for this horse next out, and we'll talk more about him in a little bit.
0: I think you kind of brought it all together. Let's jump into this first race. It was race number one from Santinia's wonderful card, a N1X allowance, six and a half going down the hill. So happy to see that this is back as well. Everyone kind of knows the old school angle of, you know, tur- turn backs from a mile to down the hill always seem to be pretty profitable. For for you in general, before I, you, I asked you kind of what you liked in this race, Dan, getting off to a hot start, that first race, I kind of feel like if you looked at it over the years, like the first race is always maybe a little bit more, paramutually you know higher handle than like you know other races because it's the first race in the card everyone wants to get involved and for me i've always come out of the fact that like if i don't like a race till the fourth race i just wait and Mm -hmm. i think sometimes a lot of people just try and shove through in that first race it's the first pick five you know the pick fours and start usually till race two etc like what is your style like do you really like to try and get involved earlier or do you kind of wait for your spot even if they're much later in the card
1: yeah, well, like you pointed to, I think it depends how the card shapes up. I mean, this first race, you know, is a pretty tempting race. Uh, you have um, 13 horses initially, including the AE. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe after a couple of scratches, I mean, you still had a pretty full field here. Um, and so it, it, it's one of those things where it, it's it's hard to sit out when you're like, you know what, I'm dealing with a lot of six and seven horse fields later on i mean the san carlos i think scratched down to like about a four horse field Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i mean it it, this was a tough one to sit out if you were just strictly looking at hey which race is most likely to set up for some chaos if you want if you're if you're a player who likes you know trying to you know taking a shot at, at trifectas and superfectas you know is it which which race is more likely to most likely to produce a, a crazier outcome? And I think six and a half furlongs going downhill uh, in a large field of, of, of largely unproven horses. I mean, the first level allowance. I mean, I think is is a good is a good chance to do that. So, but but also to your point, um, I agree. I mean, if you're just taking a stab without any strong opinion in that race, you know what that's going to do to you if you fire and you blow fifteen percent, twenty percent. Uh, or even less of your bankroll for the day, it's going to put you in a bad head space. It's going to make you question the handicapping that you, that you did in that race. And then it's also going to make you question, well, damn, why did I do that? I could have had more money now going into this fourth race where I really like, you know, whoever the horse might be. So yeah, it's a balance. I, I wish I could say personally that I've, that I've shown, you know, a lot of self-control over the years. I haven't, I think I've gotten better at it recently. I I can sit out. I, in fact, I, past two times i was at a track with the exception of this past saturday i spent the entire day at the track and i didn't make a bet which is i don't know if there's something wrong with me or (laughs) what's going on but i actually just i mean i was working one of those days but you know like i actually sat there i there was just nothing that jumped out and i enjoyed the day i was in good company and i just enjoyed the day which again probably makes me a bad person but I, i i didn't bet anything those days and so i think it is all about growth and maturity as a handicapper and a horse player waiting for those spots. But but I totally also can empathize with, with the person who's, you know, who's all excited, jazzed up, ready to go, especially on a day like Saturday with so many big races. It's like, ooh, this isn't a big race, but it's a large field and there could be some chaos here. I want to I wanna bet. I want to dabble. I, I totally get that as well.
0: Uh, I think when you just break down this race, first of all, Gold Phoenix, the eight horse, uh, the Irish bread came over, ran really good down the hill that first time, Flavian sticks. We know how good D'Amato is from back when I was running for Scott Shapiro on his site with turf sprints, 28%, $3 ROI, just very good off type of these types of layoffs. Did go off as a, as a favorite as well, and usually when you see those favorites beat first time overseas, not that they take their best shot, but I tend to fade second or third time, and then if they start showing something a little bit later, I'll, I'll come back to them. This race to me just seems so weird because when you break down the odds, you know, see-through it was 4-1. to one. Gold Phoenix was even money. Everyone else was double digits. And I'm just like, I, I just thought there was plenty of horses that could get it done in this race. For me, I ended up on Cane Creek Road, Abel Cedillo, Doug O'Neill. The two races, three and four back, the claiming and the allowance win, were both fine with Edwin Maldonado aboard. Listen, the Mathis, Brothers, or the Mathis Mile off the turf that whole day was crazy. Came back in the optional 50, just misses with an 85 buyer. I thought an 85 buyer was good enough to get it done in here. Or if they ran something around that 87 to lower 80 buyer, I didn't think anyone in here was going to be running a 90, if you know what I mean. So in this race, obviously, I think there's a beatable favorite. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Cane Creek Road fits that profile, right? That, that turning back from a mile to six and a half uh, going downhill. So all, the, you know, all those boxes checked right there. And I think to your point on uh, Gold's Phoenix, um, for me, you, you, you touched on it. This is a really important nugget. I mean, there, there are a lot of different things you can store away in your, in your arsenal as a handicapper. I think one thing that I found reliable over the years is how I approach. And, of course, it, it, it varies from barn to barn. But horses for a time in the U.S., getting Lasix for the first time, running an extremely big race like Gold's Phoenix did, didn't break well in that race either flew on late gets beat by a next out winner, but, but just misses by a half length, our natural inclination, especially if it's just, if it's, let's say it's a U.S. based horse who's been on lay six before that they're coming back second off the layoff. They're going to build off that effort and they're going to run even better in that second race off the layoff. It's not always the case uh, with, with, with these, with, with the horses that are you know, brought in from, you know, uh, from either Europe or, or anywhere else where they've sat out for a while, they go out first-time LASIKs, you usually see some regression. And with some barns, it's, it's more significant. Um, and so I expected, um, frankly, quite a bit of regression from this horse off of that, off of that race, especially because I thought it was, it, it was like a full exertion race from him to even finish second in that first race with the Lasix. Second-time lay second-time back, I thought he would take a step back. Um, as it turns out, he probably ends up running better than, than I thought he did than, than, he, than he would. But, you know, I looked at a few other horses too. And, and as I mentioned, I look at race shape and, and how it might set up. I thought the two horses on the outside, see through it and new park were, were obviously going to be, uh, your main speed horses. Um, they'd shown, you know, 22, 22 ish, sub 22 ish speed, uh, in, in recent races for their first quarter. And, um, you know, they, they had really gave no indication that, that there was anybody, I couldn't see anybody on paper who was going to be, um, faster than them, especially those horses turning back who had shown some speed, including the one you mentioned Cane Creek road, the three horse burn and turf and the seven horse constitution affair. I think all those horses had shown speed going longer, but cutting back, you figured they, they'd be sort of second flight, third flight. And so, um, last thing I'll say is as I'm trying to envision this race, would I like going downhill at Santa Anita? I don't want to be stacked up too wide because Hey, you're obviously losing ground as you would in any race. But as soon as you hit the dirt and you cross over and then you take that turn, it just feels like 90% of horses are going to flatten out at, at, you know, if, if they're about three or four wide, the horses that are coming up on the inside, who have been able to save ground, I think are the optimal plays in that situation. And so, um, I was trying to envision a scenario of like, okay, who's going to be hugging the rail throughout? And I I think you could reasonably say that, you know, Cane Creek Road, Burn and Turf were the most logical, given their early speed, not fast enough to get to the lead, but logically sitting just behind close to the rail. I think those two horses made a lot of sense.
0: Cane Creek Road for me, a little mix of Burn and Turf and Cane Creek Road for Dan. Let's see who gets done this N1X allowance right now.
2: They're off. See through it has hustled pretty hard to take the early lead. And it will be see through it to set the pace in the early stages. He's got company. New Park is pressing him on the outside. It's a gap of four back to Cane Creek Road, who's a joint third as they run down the hill. And a three wide Cali Bay with Constitution Affair now moving up and claiming the third spot. Burnin' Turf is next inside the favorite Gold Phoenix and Southern Horses outside of that pair. Spirit Maker is down at the rail, and he's about eight or nine lengths off the lead as they head toward the quarter pole. Racing outside of him is City Rage, starting to make some progress while wide. He's just behind Southern Horse at this stage. The River Tiber is second to last, and Adair is the trailer. New Park on the outside comes to take the lead as they pass the quarter pole and turn for home. See through it, fights on Gamely, lead, Burnin' Turf in between them. Gold Phoenix trying to weave through traffic has a seam now and he's coming fast as Burnin' Turf comes through a narrow opening and takes the lead at the 16th pole. Gold Phoenix charging hard, Burnin' Turf has opened up a three-length lead though and it's Burnin' Turf to win the opener. Gold Phoenix second, tight photo for third.
0: And Burn and Turf gets it done in a huge overlay of what I thought 25 to 1. The winning mutual 5260. Gold Phoenix does improve the buyer a small little bit, 88 to a 91, so not a not a full improvement tick. Not like Burning Turf going from the 80 to the 94. Uh, like you said, I think that when you even look at this race back and it being a turf race, we all know the turf racing tends to always get bigger winners anyway due to trips. I'm not saying that, you know, really your idea with Gold Phoenix regressing was wrong, but you still kind of get lucky with Burning Turf winning. I think the fact for me is Dan Blacker being 4 for 11 so far, and he mm-hmm. was 12% last year. So he's winning, you know, a little bit over 1 per 10 starts. And he's already got 4 wins and 11 starts. I think this barn is just coming out and firing with everything they're sending. And listen, he's not that good at turf sprints. He's 6% with 16 stars with a less than 50 cent ROI. This is not the type of training move that we usually like to see with this one. And he had a couple of races. They're mostly route races. They won with Flavian Prep back in the day. And I just won with Van Dyke uh, at Santa Anita. I think that the trainer and just the barn being so hot right now kind of really helped this one get up.
1: Yeah. I, look, I, 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 that's another thing. I mean, you know, you, you got to look at it when you see a number like four, four for 11, um, that, that stands out. Right. Um, it, it is what it is. I mean, I mean, the, the, the you know, I, you know, I, I know Dan largely through Christina, <laughs> and um, you know he's a kind of guy who really does take his time with his horses. Always does what's in their best interest, and um, you know it, it. It when when he's firing, you know, when he's you know kind of you know his horses are are coming in off a good rest, and 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 he's got them spotted in the in, in the right races. You know, he he could he could rattle off a streak like this. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those things where I that only gave me more confidence in him uh, in the horse um, as I was looking at the PPs. Um, and, you know, again, largely in this race, I, the, the favorite was one who, to me, seemed more vulnerable that he was. And to your point, I think he ran a bigger race than I would have expected. So he's run now back to back, really strong races. Again, he was way too far out of it. Early, um, you know, maybe he's one who benefits from a little bit of a stretch out because it does take him a little while to get going. Um, but Gold's Phoenix, to me as well, ran a massive race and just a great opportunity to bet against him. I cannot believe the price um, on burning turf, uh, to be honest. And then he had a horse coming up the rail at another big price who, to me, was a bit ex- unexpected in, in a dare, But the same profile as you mentioned, you know, the, these cutback horses from a mile. There's something to it. Your top, you know, three of your top four finishers, three all huge prices, um, turn back horses from a mile. So um, that's another, I think, nugget to take away from this race. Um, you know, trying to identify the profile of runners who do well in these particular races, downhill turf course, Santa Anita, a horse who can save ground, who's got decent enough early speed and one who's potentially turning back from, uh, from, uh, from a of ground.
0: Let's move on to the next race of the pod, a race I know you were very excited for, race number six from Santa Anita, the grade two of San Felipe, one one sixty miles on the dirt. And when I look at this race, I think that I kind of just, you know, I, I know what the Santa Anita dirt stakes are like. It's always, you know, short, usually the favorite wins, second choice. It's kind of hard to find that long shot. And I think I kind of forced myself on Armanac with John Velasquez and the Irons, Bob Baffert. I just thought that maybe the 82 uh was not the mirage and that maybe we would get another improved effort here obviously stretching out to help this one i just saw doppelganger and listen that that race last time out seven furlongs was fine i was just trying to beat a horse like forbidden kingdom even though they had kind of shown the last two races on fast paces that this one can still get it done and i think that uh i just didn't want to take chalk and i just tried to be the current person and we'll see how that kind of left me what about you dan what'd you like in this one <laughs>
1: Well, no, I, I think you were onto something. I mean, the two times we've seen Forbidden Kingdom take pressure, um, he's lost. And so uh, I was with you in thinking, well, we know Armagnac um, is, again, Baffert uh, had two in the race. He had Armagnac and he had Doppelganger. Doppelganger, we know, does not have a whole lot of early speed. Armagnac does. It seemed logical that Armagnac would go, would press Forbidden Kingdom, and that was but potentially set up for something from off the pace, at least in my mind. Um, I thought Doppelganger was the horse who was ready to take that next step. Um, Just watching, I told you, I I watched the San Vicente live when it happened, but I watched it again two or three more times before this race, (laughs) just to make sure I saw everything I thought I saw. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Doppelganger, he finishes fourth in the San Vicente. But if you watch the replay, at least to me, he was moving best late. And I thought he had all the looks of a horse, who'd get better with the added distance, and I still think that's the case. I, I think he wants more ground, um, and you know he posted an 89 buyer in the San Vicente. That was the second career start. I mean, he jumps from an 82 and 89 with a little bit more progression. I'm like, this horse could easily get into the mid-90s, maybe high 90s, and Forbidden Kingdom, who topped out at 94 last out while loose on the lead going seven furlongs, like I don't know how he's going to react take, taking some pressure. So for me, I thought Doppelganger was a was a lock. He was a single on my pick fives. And um, as, as sort of a, a fun play, I liked worse Reed Sanchez. I thought there were probably um, a number of ways you could have gone to fill out your exacta here. Um, and, and I thought if you wanted a price, I, I thought this was one who was kind of interesting. Two races back, adds blinkers. Uh, again, profile of a horse who can close from off the pace, Doug O'Neill, random racing, Mario Gutierrez. We've seen them in this kind of spot before, um, you know, big step up in class for the horse, but I thought that maybe there was some chance with some chaos that war street Sanchez would be there. I didn't really love anything else. Um, Cabo spirit, I thought was interesting, but I, I didn't see a trip for him. Um, I think he's, you know, he's in search for a search of a different field. He running up against horses like Messier, um, and now Forbidden Kingdom, uh, maybe a little too deep, but um, I think Cabo Spirit's a nice horse. I just didn't like him here, so yeah, I was doppelganger on top with uh, worst Reed Sanchez the second, and then Forbidden Kingdom, I thought would probably fill up the try.
0: And listen, there's definitely some weird moves in here, like Simon Callahan with, with beautiful art going from maiden 20 mm-hmm. all the way up to a you know, grade two, trying to get this horse onto the trail. And I just was like, listen, if this horse beats me then I'm taking everything Simon, every weird move <laughs> Simon Callahan makes, I'm dumping money on at this point because just, and listen, Cabo Spirit, I just thought all these horses weren't fast enough. And when I looked at it, you know, Happy Jack, even for Doug O'Neill, had declined in the, in the Robert B. Lewis. Okay, toss. Armagnac, Doppelganger, Forbidden Kingdom. It just seemed like those were the three horses. Those were the three horses that ended up getting back. And when I got almost 9-2 to on Armagnac, I'm like, well, I got my perfect setup and now it just has to either work Or not work. For me, like I said, it was Armagnac. It was Doppelganger. For Dan, let's see who gets some derby points here in the San Felipe right now.
2: They're off in the San Felipe. Beautiful art hopped in the air. Happy Jack is sent out of there. Forbidden Kingdom sprints quickly and Armagnac the pace hot and heavy early on. Doppelganger is fourth on the inside of Cabo Spirit. Worse, Reed Sanchez and Beautiful Art is at the back of the field. Forbidden Kingdom will set the pace and he has it by two lengths. Armagnac clearly into second and then Happy Jack back to third, about four and a half off the leader. It's another three back to Cabo Spirit racing on the outside of Doppelganger. Worse, Reed Sanchez second to last and Beautiful Art at the back of the field. Forbidden Kingdom really rolling on the front end has it by three lengths. Armagnac second, now a gap of seven or eight. Back to Happy Jack, there's room at the rail for Doppelganger who starts to advance and Cabo Spirit outside of that pair. Another four lengths to worse Reed Sanchez and Beautiful Art has trailed throughout. Three-eighths of a mile to go in the San Felipe and it's Forbidden Kingdom who has opened up a nine-length lead. Doppelganger now comes after him in second. Armagnac, a softened up third as they round the turn. And it's Forbidden Kingdom still with a commanding lead. Doppelganger will try to catch him in the final quarter of a mile. Cabo Spirit racing on the outside of Happy Jack. They turn for home. And Forbidden Kingdom still strong on the front end. A seven length advantage. Doppelganger is clearly second. But it is Forbidden Kingdom. A stellar display. Six length lead past the 16th pole. And what a performance from Forbidden Kingdom under Juan Hernandez.
0: And it is Forbidden Kingdom running them off their feet. 98, the winning buyer. $4, the winning mutual. Uh, Listen, Armagnac, not the right play. Doppelganger kind of runs second, like just kind of by forfeit. And I had some people drop some stuff on Twitter. And uh, Marshall Sterling, G1 Handicapping, goes, you know, I know Forbidden Kingdom ran everyone off their feet, but do you give Doppelganger a chance coming out of the San Felipe Chasing a talent like MK all the way around isn't a preferred trip for any horse.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, look, so a couple of things coming out of this race. I, I wasn't a believer in forbidden kingdom going in. Um, I am now slightly a believer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, I like the question is, so, so first of all, Congratulations to like you know Dick Mandela, my mm-hmm. racehorse Spendthrift. It, it it is cool to see, especially uh, Mandela, you know, back w- with a horse that looks spectacular. And and you know, we all know what happened with Omaha Beach a couple of years ago. And so mm-hmm. you hope that the horse stays fit and healthy, and they get into the gate. But yeah, I, I don't know necessarily. Um, you know, it, we're still so far out, and we got to see what other what other speed and, and, and pace there is. But even though he went super fast um he you know he 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 was on his own he was and i think that that's one thing that i talk about all the time like you could be going you could do a half in like 43 and change but if you're a quality horse especially at a mile and a 16th you're going to have plenty left if there's no one to your outside putting pressure on you um whereas you could be going 46 and change with pressure to your outside and and falter. Um it it's it's really the the, the fractions to me to always take a backseat to, to to who was around you. And now this was a byproduct of a smaller field where there's just nobody fast enough. Armagnac's okay. not fast enough to go. As far as Doppelganger goes, look, I, I I think he wants to go longer. I, I'm not completely ready to 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 put a line through him. Um, I, I think you know he is he's going to have to show another dimension. He's going to have to show more significant turn of foot. And he's going to actually have to be in a race where there are two or three horses vying for the lead. But, you know, I'm also not, you know, I'm not going to be stubborn to the point of playing him, you know, all the way through the triple crown. If he keeps showing up with races like that. Right. I mean, he could have, he didn't significantly close the ground and closed ground in forbidden kingdom. So I, I was not like, thrilled with that effort. I expected more, um, especially given how fast they went again, even though that's not the only factor. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my overall assessment with it. I, I kind of felt like, ugh, like after the race, cause all my tickets were dead. That being said, like it was, it was an impressive performance visually. I mean, the horse is fast. I mean, there was no, about the horse is mm-hmm. like super, super fast and <laughs> that's what I know for sure.
0: Uh, I will say this, and this is kind of the way I've taken Southern California on the trail just in the past, and for most years, not every, just so everyone understands that, there is one or two or three good horses. They're usually, A, out of the same barn or out of the same ownership group, so they never face each other until we get them in the gate for <laughs> Saturday in May. They face these tomato cans. Listen, I'm not trying to be rude, but, like, these horses that just, listen, uh, listen if, if Simon... If, first of all, if you listen to my podcast, fantastic. But I mean, I just want to know why we're going from tw- maiden 20 up to a grade two. Like, are they just trying to get that, that third spot? Cause the rest of the field they thought would come up weak. Cause if that's the case, that makes perfect sense to me. Cause you want to try and get that black type on all these types of horses, but just I, this was a seven horse field where three horses could win. That's yeah. the way I felt it for kingdom gets a nice, easy lead that, that puts the other two horses, you know, behind the eight ball. And he just romps out and runs with a 98, which is a great, but like, how is this horse going to run against Messier and, and all these other types? Whereas you know you go to the fairgrounds, they run against each other four straight stake races, and it's always different horses winning. I just kind of always and listen, it's hurt me in the past because obviously Southern California seems to win the Derby every year except for last year. Yeah. Well, we're getting that, um, I just wonder now going forward. Like, can we just get some more? Some, not not even more, but. Maybe the five horse fields are right for Southern California because I don't need to see three other add-ons in this race where almost if there's titanic problems up front where we get chaos, that a 65 to one shot wins that has no shot in the derby either and now just takes a spot out of the gate for someone else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, And it is tough. I mean, with Santa Anita specifically the past two years, it's been a bit of a mystery and we have seen – like a huge drop-off between some of the contenders. Like, I don't have the the charts in front of me, but Mm -hmm. I do know that, like, last year, the Triple Crown Trail that ran through Santa Anita included Life is Good, Medina Spirit, Hot Rod Charlie until he went over to Louisiana. Um, And so those were, like, I mean, those were three pretty (laughs) significant players. Yes. But name me anything else that came out of California last year. I, I don't know that you could because they were running, as you mentioned. And each one of those races, if you watch the finish... It was one or two of those horses that I just mentioned, about 20 lengths clear of the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. So you know, like you don't know what to make of these races, you know. But I think when you have what Forb- Forbidden Kingdom did there, and what we've seen Messier do so far, I mean, I think with some confidence, you could say those two horses, uh, you know, are going to be, assuming they get into the gate and they're and they're and they're and they're fit and they're you know everything's you know they're sound they're going to be pretty short prices on Derby Day um, unless something unexpected happens. Now, Messier is sort of a different story at this point. We'll see what happens <laughs> with uh, with that whole situation. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, and, and again, Doppelganger for me, I, I, you know, maybe I'm, I, I, I don't know. Is, is he the hot rod Charlie of this group? Is he the one who, you know, maybe he gets sent to another track and, and ends up breaking through, maybe. Um, but maybe not. Maybe Maybe he's, you know... You know, maybe maybe he's just in too deep right now, and he's just not that good right now. So, um, but yeah, I, I hear all your concerns about you know what these horses are running against, and and you do wish that they would be fuller fields and more competitive fields in these uh, in these Derby preps.
0: What's one of the last races of the pod It is the last race in Santa Anita on Saturday. It is the Santa Anita handicap, one and one quarter miles on the dirt. I'm going to make my idea really short and sweet. Not that it's down to a one horse field again, but. Express Train, for me, has the most class. He's the most consistent. I bet him last time he won. I was going to smash him again here as long as he was above even money, and he was. Not saying that others can't win this race, but Stiletto Boy came out, ran a monster race last time out, moved up about six or seven buyer points. I just kind of felt like the regression was there for that one. Warrant, for me, listen, Brad Cox has done amazing things with amazing horses, and the fact that Pratt jumps on should have also been a pretty likely spot that this horse was ready to go, but running in the Louisiana, the Oklahoma Derby and the West Virginia Derby are not a spot that tell me, oh, this horse should go, to, go into the big gap and run a big mm-hmm. one. And Spielberg, I think for me, is still the most auto-tossed horse I have in my entire arsenal of horses.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I feel you. Um, so we agree on Spielberg, I'll yes. say that, <laughs> but we disagree on the other two. Um, so I, you know, look – I like express train a lot. He's a fun horse. Um, followed him for a while, obviously I mean, he's, he's, he's knocked around all grade one, grade two company the past couple of years. And what I've noticed about him, I think I kind of, I feel like I know him now, right? Like I know mm-hmm. this horse, um, is that he loves this track. He loves Santa Anita, but even here, he's at times struggled to make the mile and a quarter distance. And also to yeah. string, Back to back dynamic performances together, and we saw for the first time really him string back to back race wins together, winning the San Antonio and the, the San Pasquale. Um, but you know, for me, as I'm looking at this horse, I'm thinking he's stretching out. He's just run two big races, um, and and he drew off in the San Pasquale. I was like, you know what, like, how is he going to do three in a row now? You know, and he's going longer, which I'm not convinced he wants to do. He's oh for three at a mile and a quarter. I'm like, yeah. Is there somebody here who on their best they can beat him? And I, and I saw it. And again, you talk about some of these other horses. I I also threw out like Stiletto Boy. I thought, you know, he had no excuse like to not finish second in the Pegasus World Cup. I realized it was Nick's go. He was, mm-hmm. he was battling for, for that second spot. doesn't matter. Nick's go was softened up. Nick's go did not have things his way at all there. It was the farewell race. It, Stiletto Boy rode the rail, got the setup was there just flattened out. He's not a mile and a quarter horse. He wasn't, he's not a mile and an eighth horse. So he wasn't, he wasn't a mile and a quarter horse. And then even in the awesome, again, where he finished second, had everything set up. And then he clunked up to finish second, just because everybody else was backing out. He actually beat express train that day, but he was still beaten by five lanes was never a threat. So I didn't love stiletto boy. I thought express train would be vulnerable because we haven't seen, you know, consistency in terms of wins from him. He put, he always battles, always shows up. I hadn't seen wins. Um, and the horse that I did land on was Warren. I, I thought Warren was just such a serious player. We've seen him. Uh, this was his sixth track that he's run at in nine career starts. Um, he's been able to take to just about any sur- surface. And the fact that he landed, you know, Pratt. I mean, sort of the biggest booking you could get. Coming off a third place finish, where he finished behind Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon, who. You know, both would have been, you know, well, Mandaloon would have been one to five, and Night Bourbon may have been closer to three to five in this field. Um, I, you know, I, I was like, he's, he's coming out of the most legitimate company of any horse here. And, you know, I thought in limited opportunities, the horse had run well at a mile and an eighth. And to me, visually, at least, just why, and I ended up, like we talked about replays, I ended up watching a bunch of, of his of his replays. He's one who looked to me like he would relish the added distance, you um, you know, I, I just everything pointed to warrant to me. I, I was like, you know, I, I mean, Brad Cox, short bonus, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just just the horse's profile just screamed to me mile and a quarter against one of the weakest fields he's ever faced with the exception of express train. Um, I thought, yeah, if I can get if I get eight to five on him, I'd be thrilled. When I saw nine to two as they were loading in, I was I tweeted it. I had I I did the drool emoji. I was drooling at yeah. at, at, at nine to two. I, I could not believe I was looking at nine to two on the source.
0: It, it's Spencer being a chalk eating weasel taking express train back to back. Can Warrant be the upset for Dan? Let's see who gets it done in the big cap in the finale right
2: now. They're off in the San Anita handicap, presented by Yamava Resort and Casino at San Manuel. American Theorem and Spielberg are the first two out. Warrant has some natural early speed. Why, why, Paul Weil on the rail? Express Train is next. Soy Tapatio and Stiletto Boy is at the back of the field. A very compact group passes the stands the first time with Spielberg just in front. American Theorem on the outside and Warrant in between those two. Why, why, Paul Y. Express Train three wide, about three lengths off the lead. Soy Tapatillos between those two, and then Stiletto Boy. They head to the six furlong pole, and it's American Theorem now taking over and opening up a length and a half. Warrant moves into second, Spielberg back to third. He's joined by Express Train on the outside. Then comes Y, Y, Paul Y, ahead in front of Stiletto Boy, who's four lengths off the lead and another two-and-a-half to Soy Tapatio. They're a half-mile from home in the Santa Anita Handicap presented by Yamava Resort & Casino at San Manuel. And it's American Theorem leading by a neck. Warrant puts the pressure on him second, and outside of them, Express Train turns up the pressure too. And now Warrant takes the lead. Express Train moves into second. American Theorem asks for more down at the rail. Stiletto boy getting into the race taking 3rd, YY why, why, Paul Y Spielberg and Soy Tapatio Express Train takes the lead at the top of the stretch warrant fights on three more back to stiletto boy in third they're a furlong from the finish and express train has the lead but warrant won't go away they're head and head coming to the 16th pole. express train and victor espinoza warrant and flavian pratt in a big cap thriller express train just in front here's the line express train what a campaign
0: and express train does get it done 104 the winning buyer 420 the winning mutual but that does not mean that I did not have my cheeks clenched for that entire stretch drive. I mean, it was it was nerve-wracking. And uh good pick with you for Warrant, another one that ran a 104 buyer. It's it's interesting. Like, in the whole race, you know, I'm right about Express Train. I'm right about Stiletto Boy, who declined back down to a 91. Spielberg still ran the 90. Don't know why they keep putting this horse in grade ones. That's a whole other podcast of half an hour for that. Uh and yet you still almost miss a race. So it kind of goes to show like you pretty much almost handicapped the race, you know, 90% right. And you still almost don't make money.
1: Yeah. This was a painful one for me. Yeah, um, I did have win and, and place money on, on warrant. And, and I, I know a lot of people will, would, would advise against betting horses to place um, at those odds. But I was like, like, there's no way the horse doesn't finish at least first or second in my mind. So I was like, it, it's that, that sort of free money. And I think the win money is sort of free money too. So I'm, 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 I'm making a win place, So I made a significant win place, bet. I also singled Warren on every ticket. So, um, that the late pick five sequences, uh, done as well. Um, and so, uh, there was a late pick four, I guess that, that I got knocked out with that one. So, yeah, so I really did ultimately get, get pretty badly hurt in this race. And look, I talk about replays and this is one where maybe I don't have to go back and watch this replay because it'll be burned in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the, the rare occasion in which I think Flavian uh, misrode this horse. Um, he, we talked about being between horses. I know he was trying to keep Express Train sort of floated out as much as possible and kind of keep them wide, which he did. That's what made the race even more impressive from ex- Express Train. Not mm-hmm. only did he make the mile and a quarter for the first time in his life, he did it while covering so much more ground. And Warren wanted him to stay wide. So what happened was, I mean, ultimately, once you know, American Theorem makes that move, that middle move, and you know, Mike Smith, you know, takes him to the front. Um, I, I think you saw some panic there from Warren, saying, "Oh, oh God! Now Express train to cross over, and he could be, you know, two path and mm-hmm. and cut me off. He can get first run." And so Pratt moves way too early. Um, if he doesn't make that move. Um, I think if he just sits chilly, I think express train and Victor probably continues just, you know, chugging along where he was at three wide. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think if he makes that move probably six to eight seconds later, (laughs) which is a long time in in a race. Uh, So um, I, I, I think Warren, I I don't think he draws off, but I I think he wins by, by about a length, at least Um, he just moved way too early. And uh, once express train, you know, got ahead in front. It was hard to battle back. I mean, that that's a tough horse. That's a gutsy horse. You don't battle back on express train. He needed to stay, to stay ahead of them. And I think with that in mind, he just moved too early. And so he's like, I, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want this horse to go by me at all, but in doing what he did, I think he just moved too early and he, you know, left, left his horse in a position where there just wasn't nearly enough late. Uh, especially once express train did get his head by for, you know, you know, uh, coming off the turn. So, um, I don't know. Look, it, it's I'm not a jockey. I it's it's easy for me to sit here and and say things like that. Uh, but uh, to me, I think Warren. We'll see where he shows up next. But I, I think he's an obvious bet back horse. I think he's a really nice horse, and I could see him having a a, a really serious campaign uh, going through the, the spring and summer.
0: I uh, I had Marshall. Uh, Sterling also dropped another question saying, you know, was this just a weak rendition again of this type of race? And now, you know, where we look at Express Train in the actual standings for, you know, maybe older male, John Piasik dropped that he's won three straight graded stakes in a row, including one over Hot Rod Charlie. Why wouldn't he be one? This horse just kind of feels to me like he's not going to travel. He'll stay out west. And unless a tough competition comes to him, he might rack up one or two more graded stake wins, and it'll look really good for a profile, come into." the breeders cup and just kind of, you know, shit the bed, so to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I think you're right there. And I think, I I, I think that question is a fair question to ask, but um, we touched on it earlier, not to beat up too much on some of the fields he's, yeah. he's run against, but um, I'm not, I'm not convinced he's, he's one of these now, again, look, he's, he's been beaten by Medina Medina spirit and mm-hmm. he's beaten hot rod Charlie, but I mean, the rest of it is, you know, tis a magician and eight rings. So I, I mean, I'm not, not you know, no knock on those horses. They're nice horses, but um, they're, they're not going to be on the same level as, you know, life is good and, 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 and hot rod, Charlie and midnight bourbon. And so I, I don't think he's there. I, you know, I, I think he's a nice, really nice, uh, you know, uh Older level, you know, so kind, kind of just, just, just nice graded stakes horse in California, but you, you, see largely what he's running against. I mean, they bring in Warren off a third place finish in the Louisiana Derby, mm-hmm. a horse whose, you know, most significant accomplishment was a win in the Oklahoma Derby uh, last September. And he loses by was the final margin like a head? I mean, or or a half a length? I I I, I guess I turned away at the wire, but it it wasn't much, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's that's that, that's warrant, who who nobody had really heard of or thought of before before this race. Uh, maybe you heard about him, you know, in Louisiana a little bit. But anyway, um, I, I I'm not I, I like Express Train. He's a nice horse. He's a fun horse. He's not in, in the upper echelon of horses in this. In, in, dirt horses in this country.
0: Last question before I let you go. Now with all the races being done, got some news on jockey changes going forward. It looks like Raspoli's going east as is Pratt. When I think of a Saratoga meet and listen to me, and you talk a lot during Saratoga, we've, meet, we've met up a couple of times. What is that jockey standings you know, going to look like? And finally, you know, everyone talks, you know, about the Eclipse Award. And I think like having Pratt be out West, maybe have kind of hurt him in there, but me and Guys like Real Dynasty have always talked to, you know, I want to see him versus Irad. And I said Keelan 'cause because it's more of a neutral tr- uh, track. But <laughs> to see them at Saratoga, I mean, what a throwdown it's going to be, I feel, this year going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you don't know how these things work out exactly because obviously Irad um, – you know, well, I ride in particular, but I mean, you do have other, other jockeys who, I don't want to say declined, but who obviously haven't won at the same cliff as they have in recent years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as it had in past years, like the Castellanos of the world and the, the Johnny V's, but all of those jockeys, the New York based jockeys and the Florida based jockeys have, you know, sort of that home field advantage. Um, and even for, you know, when it comes to turf riding, I mean, you know, where Pratt is great, you got guys like Bill Mott who, who, who runs, sends out, you know, great turf runners at Saratoga you know, junior is his guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's going to take a little while for, I wouldn't be surprised if Pratt doesn't immediately have success, um, especially at Saratoga. I I think, I I think he's a top notch jockey, but I think it's going to take a little while for him to get his business going. Um, And, and I'm sure he's already had, you know, he has indications that he will have business. Otherwise he wouldn't make the trip out. um, And, and he wouldn't, you know, completely relocate. But I think, um, you know, it's reasonable to expect if this becomes sort of the where he's going to be, if he's going to be in New York for the, you know, for the big summer racing months, if he's going to be in Florida over the winter, if he's, I don't know if that's part of the plan or if it's just New York and then back to California over the winter. Um, you know, I think if you maintain that sort of consistent East Coast presence, uh, a guy like Pratt and a guy like Raspoli as well, they're both going to do really well, especially in turf races. I mean, they're, they're, they're premier Turf riders. That, that's, that's what they are. And I, and I know Pratt has obviously made a name for himself on the dirt as well. Um, I, I think it'll take a little time. I, I, I'd still, if you told me, you know, dirt race, all things being equal, I can take some of the likes of Saez or Irad or mm-hmm. Pratt. I'm going to take Saez or Irad not knowing anything about the race, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it's a race being run at Saratoga. Um, and then if it's a turf race, you know, I got to see who shows up, but, you know, I, I think if you told me it's Tyler Gafleone on a, you know, on a maker and, uh, or, at, you know, and, and, Jose on a Chad and a junior on, on a, on on a horse Vermont and then Pratt and Rispoli on two other horses, I don't know that I'm automatically going to say, oh, you know, Pratt and Rispoli, you know, probably have an advantage here. I, I think you have some established relationships in, in New York that are going to be tough to overcome right away.
0: That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Dan Tord, for coming and joining me, talking some West Coast racing. Dan, where can people find you on social media to talk all racing and also ABR?
1: Yeah. So if you like hearing someone blab, like to no end, as you just heard me do here, <laughs> um, you can just check out America's Best Racing uh, at ABR Live. We do a lot of live streams uh, around big race days. So check out ABR Live if you want to check me out personally. I'm at DanonymousMan Man on Twitter. So that's uh, Dan and Anonymous combined, Danonymous and then Man uh, on Twitter. I'm, I'm around posting thoughts and comments uh, frequently enough. Not as much as I used to. I try to stay away from a lot of the negative action going <laughs> on there. But, but I do post occasionally. So uh, check me out there.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank all the wonderful listeners who listen to this podcast and all the rest of them on the In The Money Media Network. I also want to thank my special guest, Dan Torchman, for coming out and talking some Santa Anita Derby preps, as well as that wonderful Saturday card. This show is been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornitao, our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.